Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Afros and Knives podcast. I am your host, Tiffany Rozier. This week, we introduced the Fresh Voices series. These are conversations with women who are in the early stages of their life in food, wine, or hospitality. I wanted to hear about their experiences, get their perspectives, and increase their visibility. Today's Fresh Voice is a recent culinary school graduate named Nina Brody. Thank you again for being here tonight, Nina. And we just want to hear a little bit about your background in whether it be in food or your transition into food and just where you are um, right now in your career and um, just a little bit about you. So I'm Nina Brody. I'm 31 years old, originally from Los Angeles. Um, I say L.A. born, South Carolina bred. I graduated high school in South Carolina, and that's where my maternal family is from. My father and his family are from Alabama, so I have strong southern roots. Um, but after graduating high school, I went to college for one year, and then I joined the Air Force. And I served in the Air Force for 10 years between Texas and Maryland. And while living in the Air Force is really where I started to cook, mainly just from being away from home. Um, my mother cooked, my grandmother cooked, my aunt cooked, so I love food, I love home-cooked food, and I still wanted that after I had left home, and I spent a lot of Sundays on the phone between my mother and my grandmother, How do I, what do I put in this, how do I cook that, um, and meeting my friends and, and other people in the dorms, and then they're your main family, and that's where, like, really my love for cooking and being in the kitchen um, came from. So after I separated from the Air Force, I got a job in IT project management at a finance analytics company in New York City. So I moved from Maryland to New York. I live in Brooklyn now. And I've been here for two years. So after one year of working in IT, I love the project management side. I love the talking with people and the planning and figuring out what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. I was I was missing something. Um, I wasn't like fulfilled from that. And I talked with and toyed with going to culinary school for a few years. Um, I I almost started while I was in Maryland, but my work schedule changed and I wasn't able to uh, attend the program that I had been kind of researching. And so I decided then, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm here in New York. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. There's the great culinary space, obviously. And why not, basically? And, and two, I think my other, like, pressure maybe was that uh, I was turning 30. And I guess it's kind of this feeling that's like, for sure, I'm. I'm gonna. If I keep living, I'm gonna get older. And so, if I don't do it now, then when will I do it? Like, why would I wait to do it later if I can do it now? And so, um, was July of 2018, I called up to ICC International Culinary Center. It used to be called the French Culinary Institute, and I did a tour. And I'm pretty sure I signed up that same day. And I only had like a couple of days before I was going on a trip that I'd already planned. And I would be starting school like right after I got back. So 
happened pretty quickly. And it was a part-time program, um, Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday evenings. So I went to work uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, got off work around 4.30, started class at 5.45, and um, was released from class at 10.45. So I did that for six months. And then the last three months of the program is an externship, which um, I'm so grateful and it was honestly a privilege. I completed at Henry at Life Hotel under um, Chef J.J. Johnson, Chef Sam Davis, and Chef Omar Tate, which was an amazing experience. And that so far has been my culinary journey. I just graduated. And right now, I've been working my nine to five on an IT project management. But I am searching for my next role in in the culinary field. So talk to me about your, I guess, your experience in, because I was 30 when I decided to go ahead and jump into culinary myself, or technically I was 29 going on 30, when I decided to make a career change and shift into culinary myself. I had been working in marketing and decided I had, I did not want to do that anymore. I was done working in an office. And so my journey is very similar. I um, have been cooking a lot on and off um, when I was living in Nashville and decided that I just needed to kind of seek it out a little bit and um, play it out a little bit. And so I came back to Arizona and went to the Cordon Bleu. So for you, getting into culinary school, what was it that I mean, outside of like, okay, if I don't do it now, it's not, it's not going to happen. Where, where, do, where do you believe that confidence came from to go, you know what, let's just get serious about this. Stop, you treat it like a hobby um, and just decide to like jump into kind of the professional space and, you know, get yourself educated and start to look for work in the field. So when I started culinary school, but when I was thinking about going to culinary school, my thought process was I'm going to become a chef, and then um, I'll work in the kitchen, and then one day I'll open a restaurant. So I've wanted to open a restaurant longer than I've wanted to be a chef, um, and then the cooking came later. But actually, my my motive—I won't say my motive. Well, I guess it was kind of my motivation to go to culinary. My cousin and I made a pact. She works in a career um, in the industry she's not necessarily happy with, and she was thinking about attending this uh, school programming for graphic design, which is a complete shift. She's a nurse now, but the complete shift. Um, so I was like, well, you'll go to graphic design school, and I'm going to go to culinary school. My mother was upset. I didn't even tell my father because I was in the college program wow. for marketing, which is uh um, ironic, but I was in a, a I was in a program for marketing. So I was going to take a break. I took a break from that and was going to go to culinary school. And and she didn't even do it. I did it. I went to culinary school, and then she <laughs> and then in the last she was like, yeah, I just don't know if this is to me." I was like, "What?" <laughs> but, but I had wow. to be committed. <laughs> what kind of restaurant yes, did you want to open? Uh, and it would be 
Southern. Mm. Um, it was. It wouldn't be too elevated. I wanted to be like. I wanted to be home cooking. I wanted to feel comfortable, but I wanted to be like a nice setting. You know, live music. That's kind of like my vision for it. Um, but I haven't like made like a business plan or anything. But yeah, ever since I was like ten, I told her. I said, "Grandmother is." That, I had never been to New York, so I didn't. I was like, "Oh, those northern people—they don't know anything about southern food." I'm gonna open the first like southern restaurant in, in New York City. That's what I thought I was gonna do, and and I was like, "I'm gonna name it after you." Now that I'm up here, I was like, "There's southern food, there's Caribbean food, there's all food here." <laughs> but and since the restaurant idea came to you before the 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 desire to become a chef came to you, what role did you see yourself playing if you weren't going to be the chef in that kitchen? Um, did you, you know, were you just going to open it and be kind of the face of the restaurant? Or, you know, did you see yourself being a host or a bartender? Like, so what was your, what did you imagine your role to be in the restaurant? I definitely imagined it to be like the face. Um, and mm. probably like, I guess like a, Operations general manager role, definitely not like a um, a, like an angel investor, like you know, just an investor, silent was a silent investor. Right. No, I I wanted to be active, and it was going to be my restaurant, including my grandmother's restaurant, her recipe, her mm. influence. But um, I didn't think that I would be the one cooking. Oh, okay, okay. Um, did you did you know who you wanted to have cooking or you just it was kind of part of the it just that kind of folded into the idea a little bit and you weren't even you weren't even airing out that detail yet. It was like, well, somebody's gonna do it, but um I don't know who. Did you have like a, a, a chef in mind that you were following or that you loved or that your grandmother loved? I did not, no, I did not. Actually I I don't even really like know chefs. I'm kind of embarrassed to say it a little bit. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't well I mean it hasn't been very long since you kind of took the leap so I could understand that like some people kind of get it becomes an insatiable appetite to, to follow the personalities in mm-hmm. cooking and then other people are just kind of look for their own voice and so the other stuff will usually come like you will find chefs that you love and admire and as you eat more and get out into restaurants and other places more that you'll find people that you tend to you have a passion for and their culinary voice and their culinary position so that stuff will definitely come. Um, I mean, I, I think you're almost at, a, at an advantage, though, because you don't have anyone influencing your your own point of view at this point. And what tends to happen is you'll have, um, especially younger chefs, jump into the industry and they, they've been following someone for a long time and they love this person and they love their work and their, their, um, their attitude. And they'll get into to cooking because of that person and that the, the the, that person kind of colors all of their choices and the things that they do, and which is not a terrible thing. But when the time comes and they want to break out and do something original, they have a hard time stepping out from under the shadow of this person they've admired so much. So you actually have an, a pretty cool advantage getting into um, opening a restaurant for yourself because you do have like a kind of a clean slate. You don't have anyone that you're following, anyone that you're looking at. And so you can really kind of find yourself uh, or find your way to your own culinary point of view pretty simply. That, that, and that's like how I, that's very true. And that's exactly how I feel. I mean, sometimes when I'm in, in rooms with other people and especially in culinary school and, and uh, my instructors or other students are naming chefs and I'm like, who, like, who is that? Um, <laughs> and then they tell that's the person that they're the pioneer of and I'm like oh okay well that's cool but um, I I, yeah, I feel well. like it also puts me in a position where I'm just like I'm trying to learn from everyone 
loud at my ex-church. Right. Uh, the the front of the house people were teaching me things about cooking. The dishwashers and everybody is teaching me something about the kitchen, about restaurants, because I honestly, like, I don't know anything. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun experience so far, and I've learned so much just just from, especially on Instagram, you follow one chef and then you, then they tag somebody oh, yeah. else and it's such a small network. Everybody knows everybody. And um, it's yeah. honestly amazing. It's a great sense of community among among cooks, and um, you know while we have while there are some I definitely some behavioral challenges that we are that we share and some um, uh, I guess some issues some social issues that we um, are definitely faced with currently in um, how we treat minorities how we treat women just a number of other uh, conversations around that for the most part um, we have uh, we have a really tight-knit community and um, everyone's usually fairly generous and open it's not as competitive as it used to be because people just want the industry as a whole to do well they want people to look up to the entire industry and not just um, a single person or a single chef or a single restaurant. And so, yeah, so it's definitely been, there's definitely been some major leaps and improvements, but as you can tell from even just the nature of this podcast that, you know, there's just so much more work yet to be done to make sure that new voices like yourself coming into the industry can find, you know, their part in their space in the community. Um, pretty simply and pretty easily so you can get the support you need because definitely opening a restaurant requires a tremendous amount of support mm-hmm. and um and people cheering you on because it is not an easy line of work but it's extremely satisfying and people get into it and they just keep doing it i always tell people it takes a certain level of um of madness in order to get into this profession and really love it the way most people love it so um but yeah i mean you know i love the th- i when i was like 10 i used to think about being on um um, PBS and having my own cooking show like Julia Child or uh, Jacques Pavon. Yeah, that was that was my thing. I was I used to like when I would play outside. That was where my head went. And it's funny because when I stepped away from it and started pursuing other interests, I completely forgot about those moments that I had connected to cooking as a child. And so every now and again, I'll have a conversation or an experience will come up, and I'll remember doing that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, the, those dreams kind of seated in childhood will definitely chase you until you see some of them fulfilled. So now for the, now did your grandmother have a specialty that she used to, that everybody always expected her to bring to like a family cookout or to a family holiday or what was the thing that you really loved the most that your grandmother used to make? The thing that, so my grandmother's specialty was everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, isn't it? That's what grandmoms do. She, she was in charge of everything. And she was like, um, I guess like the kitchen manager at our church. So any type of fellowship event or anything like that, she planned who was bringing what. And there were certain dishes that she wanted to make herself. And um, and it's it's at her house, you know. Yeah, my grandmother, she cooks everything. Um, Mm. My favorite thing from her what was my my favorite meal? I'll say was um, fried chicken, uh, butter beans, with rice with homemade biscuits. That that was mm. like my number one request whenever I was coming home. She'd always ask, "What do you what do you want to eat?" And she would still have the meal ready for you when you get there, or you know, on its way at least. But 
she's going to make what it is that she's asked. And, and that's the thing that I would always ask for. But um, I honestly love every and her sweet tea. I, she could walk me through making the sweet tea and it still won't taste like the way. I was like, are you, are you sure this is the pot that you use? Is this the right pot? <laughs> it doesn't taste the same. It's, like, well, it's, it's true. Like, yes. <laughs> it is so true. You're like, okay, this does not taste right. It does not have the same anointing. It's not, it don't have the same spirit in it. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it does not have that grandma energy on right. it. So, okay. Other people come in and they're like, who made this sweet tea? Because this ain't Hazel's tea. And I'm See, like, I made it. This is not it's hers. He's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try again. It's so funny. And, that, you know, I remember asking my mom, there was a couple of things she used to make. And I felt the same way. I'm like, she used to do this baked chicken. And when people are like, so she roasted it? No, it was baked. I mean, no, it was baked, y'all. It was not roasted. <laughs> and she doesn't make it anymore. But like to try, I've been chasing it since I was a kid. And I'm like, how did she do this? And so she explained it one day. And I was like, okay, there's a number of things missing here that I'm like, I did all the proper steps. But you know, like she said, at one point, I was like, mom, it's still not the same. And she's like, well, food is so different now. The way it's grown, the way it's sourced, um, the way it's treated, and just, you know, the quantity of it even has diluted the flavors and the taste. And so I think a lot of um, us chasing the flavors of our ancestors and of our like grandparents and our parents, it's going to be a little more challenging to, to find that that flavor profile to find that magic again, because, you know, even the way, like I said, even the way we farm and the way we treat animals and the way we treat food in this country and in the, in our culture is so vastly different than the way our grandparents and our parents came up. And so, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's going to, it's definitely presented us with a challenge of trying to re-engage those flavors that we all have in our memory um, because, you know, it's just the, the product's not available. And it's just like, man, that chicken is not raised the same. It doesn't have the same flavors naturally that they used to have. And I mean, it was just the simplest little baked chicken drumstick. <laughs> and you know, girl, bye. It was like, nobody cares. Nobody cares that we can't find these flavors anymore. So we out here salting it and buttering it up and putting pepper on it and putting paprika on it and everything else. And we can't find our way back to that moment because it's just all the components are, are so different than um, than the times that our, our parents and our grandparents were, were raising us. And so um, did she happen to leave any of did she has she given you some more recipes like outside of the, the sweet tea? Has she passed down that uh, that biscuit recipe or that fried chicken? So the way that um, so my uh, social media handle is ain't no recipe thing. I have it. And I cannot find that tape for anything. I can't find it. 
See, she went in there and erased it. She knew. She was like, this girl ain't gonna ever get this recipe. It's all right. But it's funny. It's so funny how they're like, well, you just, you just do it. You just, you can just tell. And you're like, and as you cook more, you do understand exactly what they're saying. Um, you kind of go, I, there was a, there was a time I was, um, working outside of Anacortes in uh, Washington on one of the islands. And I would come into the kitchen and I'd have, a, you know, some, I had my staff there and most of them were pretty young and they had never worked in the kitchen before or they had very little experience. And I would come in and I would, you know, everything would be going and I could smell that no one had added salt to anything. Wow. And it would freak everybody out every single time. And I'd come in, I'm like, um, was anybody planning on seasoning any food today? And they're just like, huh? I was like, salt, y'all, you need some salt in this. And they were like, but I thought we did. I was like, no, you can smell it. You cannot, you can, there's no salt in anything. And so they were like, how did you know that? And so I would grab spoons and make everybody taste it. And like every time they would be like, there's no, this doesn't taste, this is, oh, this is bland. I'm like, yeah, there's no salt in anything, friends. You got to add some seasoning. And so I think after a while, you do kind of develop a, a second instinct for um, when something is right, mm -hmm. you know? And, I, you know, that's why I was like, you always used to tell them like cooking is a very spiritual act because you are, have all five senses involved, but you also have that, that third eye happening um, when you cook where you just go, mm, that's ready. Oh, that's right. And you might not, no one else might smell it. No one else hears it, but you know, like their, your spidey senses start tangling and you know know when it's right and so yeah your grandmother's probably like girl I don't know what to tell you um you will do it enough times until you can feel it in your fingers like okay that's correct because bread making is really is very much um feel and you know you have some really you know scientific things happening there but there's a point where you're hands are in the dough and you're kneading everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, your gut goes, okay, you're good. You're done. You can, you can tell it's kind of turned the corner. And that just happens with like years of experience or repetitive, um, uh, repetitive action, doing it over and over and over again. I think that's what culinary school you'll notice is made up a lot of repetition and you're trying to get some muscle memory and just kind of this sense of, okay, that's when it's right, which is why they have you just do the one thing over and over and over again. And so there's this kind of repetition and that you just don't find in other industries. And it, which is unfortunate because I think there's some, th some industries that could use the repetition where people could practice a little bit more <laughs> and, um, and they would know their skills a bit better. But yeah, yeah, grandma was like, look, girl you just gotta get in there and make the biscuits like I don't know what you're talking to me about it for but you get in there get you some flour but again the flour is not the same you have to play with the butter a little bit like I used to have to make homemade butter so I could actually get buttermilk um, because I couldn't find really good buttermilk anymore mm. and the flavor is completely different and so there's just so many things that you will have to probably adjust because you're like your grandmother had these tools at her fingertips that you that we just don't currently have and hopefully Hopefully they are on their way back because we have so many people who are committed to farming again that we might be able to see some of these products come back into the market. But yeah, girl, you got to just get out there and put your hands in these biscuits <laughs> until you find the magic, until you find that sauce. Because grandmama's like, look, I can't help you past this point. I showed you the gate. You got to walk through it yourself. You know, but, um, baby. 
No. And, I, you know, and I love that. I love that sentiment because it speaks a lot to life as well. There's no recipe for life and there's no recipe for these biscuits. You just have to do, you have to live it and you got to experience it in order to know what she's talking about. So, but, oh, I, you know, but I love grandmoms for that reason. I, and I had a roommate one time and I told her, I'm like, I love everybody's grandmom. Like they're my grandmom. So just don't be, don't, I'm like, don't be messed up if I'm around your grandmom and I treat her like my grandmom because they, you know, grandmoms have this have this wisdom. I don't know if they, I don't know if like God gives them this special like ticket or there's this, um, he sends them a handbook at a certain age and they go, okay, you're a grandmom now. This is the information you need to have because they, they do have a really unique spirit about them that nobody else has in the world. And you know, a grandmom when you see one. So, um, so yeah, but I love that. I love the fact that there's just something that, you know, that is in front of you that will keep you passionate and keep you curious because you'll always be chasing down this biscuit recipe. I promise you will always chase it down. And it's just like, and once you get it right, you know, it'll be funny how like the universe goes, well, here's your restaurant. Now that you finally got this biscuit recipe done, um, we will, you know, it'll find a, a place for you to showcase it. And, and to share it. <laughs> Look, sometimes, you know what though? Sometimes it takes a show in the universe that you're really serious about something. And that's what you have to do. You're like, you know what? I'm going to commit to making these biscuits every single day for the next six weeks. And it's amazing the doors that open because your energy is so different about what you want. It's like, all right. I am serious about these biscuits because it's something I want to put on the menu. It's something I want other people to share and have. And so you just commit to like getting into this practice of making these biscuits until you get them to a place that would do your grandmother proud because you're like, you know what? There's just, I ain't got time to play at this point. Like you said, you know, I have, you know, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? And I've honestly, I mean, the world needs culinary voices like yourself and, you know, ones that have a heritage that they want to share and history they want to share. And I think so much of Black cooking is historical and we carry kind of the soul of the people who came before us with us. And it's, um, I can't say it's really super unique to us, but it is such a huge part of how we cook that I just haven't seen... um, happened before like there's a lot of history with food and you get a lot of like culinary history and this is where this came from and these are the five mother sauces from here and this is what you do over there and these are all the knife techniques people have been using for you know hundreds of years but when people talk about soul food and cooking with soul i think that's what they that's essentially what they mean is that as as black folks we cook with the spirit of all the people who have ever fed us coming through. And so that just doesn't happen all the time because you can go into some really amazing restaurants with absolutely divine food. And yet you will always know the difference between that and soul food, because it's not so much that it's, you know, hotter or spicier or greasier or anything or saltier even. It's the fact that you can taste someone's personal history. You can taste their family history in the food. And there's a very personal part of it there. Um, so I saw on your LinkedIn, I want to say, that you did some volunteer work with the James Beard House. So how did you find your way there? And you're like, what did you take away from those experiences? So um, International Culinary Center, ICC, they really encourage you to volunteer at different events. So they have kind of a relationship with James Beard House where you can volunteer there for all the different like fundraiser dinner events they have. Um, you can volunteer in besides the schoolhouse for the uh, recreational or amateur classes that they have. 
and um, and there's various other volunteer opportunities um, in the city. So I I didn't even know about the James Beard House until uh, I started culinary school, like everything else. But um, once I found out about it and, and, you know, like just did some reading on the website, I was like, oh, wow, this is really amazing. And then just looking at the events and the more that I'm finding out about success, I was like, oh, you go to this, I've never worked in the kitchen before. And I was like, so I should probably try to get some kitchen experience outside of my home in the classroom. So uh, that's how I, I um, well, that's why I went to the James Beard House. And my very first dinner was the most amazing experience um, even to this day, I mean, it's only been a few months, but um, I worked, uh, volunteered at the, at the Carla Hall dinner at James Beard House, and it was right after her, uh, her book was published. And I, I wish I would have written, written the other chef's names down because all the chefs, I walked in and I was so nervous. I'm like, I don't even... I'm hearing all these horror stories. Like when I say I had no idea about the culinary industry, I didn't know that it's like there was like a thing where like chefs or chefs yell at people in the kitchen, and I didn't know that was that was uh, I guess like the culture. And yes, we're an unfortunate <laughs> part of the culture. I had no idea. It's not so much as it used to be, but because um, people have learned that that's not how you treat people and that's not how you keep staff. Yeah. But it definitely there's a handful of chefs still out there trying to hold on to yeah, it. I, anybody yelling at me but I have uh heaped a few um egos but at, at this point I hadn't experienced it at all I'd only heard about it so then I'm like well I don't do I go and do I speak to her as soon as I walked in she was standing right there I'm like, I don't know if I go talk to her I don't know who to talk to so um I introduced myself to uh one of the James Beard Foundation uh employees who uh, I guess I I'm like kitchen manager, I'm pretty sure with this title. And so he was like, oh, okay, you know, just go introduce yourself to the chef. Sign in and go introduce yourself to the chef. Then I kind of like went and was kind of standing off to the side and just like picked a random person that looked like, you know, they may be open to me talking to them. And then I was like, oh, I'm here to volunteer. And um, he was like, oh, well, just go um, and introduce yourself. Oh, okay, well, it's glad to have you here. Just go introduce yourself to uh, this Carla Hall over there. So I went to introduce myself, and I was like, hi, chef, I'm here to volunteer. And she's all like, oh. like, oh, what's your name? And she stopped what she was doing, and she was saying, it's so scary to me. And she stopped, and she looked me in my eyes, she was like, what's your name? And she was like, thank you so much for volunteering, and um, and let me see what I can have you. And, like, and just gave me a task, and it was like, um, it was kind of like, I guess the weight on my shoulders, was, I was being dramatic, but I was feeling like very nervous, but immediately she made me feel like so calm and, and, and confident really. And, and that type of vibe was just, that was the vibe in the kitchen the whole night with, um, all the stuff. I remember it was, uh, Cheryl Day, uh, she had the bacon in Savannah and she made the dessert that night. And, um, I want to look their names up on Instagram because everybody was so awesome. There was a chef, John Hall. I believe he's in Alabama. He has a, I guess, a pizza restaurant or something down there. Um, but it was just such a beautiful event. And and everybody, like, was helping each other out and, um, and, and they see you working on a task and they're giving you tips and they're like, oh, did you uh, did you see this? Did you know how we did this? And did you taste this? And 
and really it, it was um it was a lot of fun and I was like, Oh, this is this is what uh the culinary industry is gonna be like, you know, I'm in the right I made a good decision, I'm in the right place and I was uh very excited after meeting there that night. So I don't even remember what your question was, honestly. Oh, no, that was it. I just wanted to see how you ended up, you know, volunteering for one of those events and, you know, what you took away from it. And it's true, like at our very, very best um, cooks in the community of cooks in this country are generous and um, and gracious. And so it's rare. I've not I've only maybe had one instance where I've had a chef throw something or, you know, kind of lose their, you know, lose their temper and, and, and not know how to manage, how to pull that back to be more productive. But for the most part, I, all the chefs I've worked for have been extremely generous and always very kind and, um, and, and also very honest, like, you know, to make sure that you, have the career you want. You want a chef that's going to be kind, but also going to be honest, that they're going to push you to do your best. And, you know, if you feel safe in an environment, like you're not going to be abused and no one's going to take advantage of you and they're not going to mistreat you, then you do offer up your best work because you can go, okay, this this person cares about me. Or at least while I'm here, they care about me and what happens, you know, essentially to even their food and how I'm preparing it. And so, yeah, I've heard, I've, I've never heard anything but great things about Chef Carla and like and people who have engaged with her always say she's very generous. I I met her at a um, food and wine show or food and wine event in Nashville. I had just bought her cookbook and I just got in line to have her sign it. And she was again very generous and just you know was really open to kind of share a little bit of herself. And of course, with a line like that, you can't have like an in depth conversation. But you know when she's with you, she's with you. She's like fully engaged in the person standing there with her. And so that's definitely I I think a testament to who she is as a person, but also who she wants to be for other cooks coming in. Because again, like being a woman of color in the kitchen is already hard enough. And, you know, it's, you know, being nervous was definitely a reasonable response to walking into that situation um, and not having any prior experience. But there's definitely um, a history of us kind of just not, it's not even being mistreated, just not even really being there. Like our, you know, we're, you know, like I told a, a, a friend of mine, I, you know, Black women have long set the precedent for cooking in this country. I think we can, I can, I can honestly say that we are the creators and the incubators of the American cooking style. Most of the food that is grown here is because native, um, native peoples and African slaves cultivated the land and we are the ones who fed everybody for the longest time. And our voices just don't seem to be present in the industry, even though we are kind of the foundation on which that industry is built. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the James Beard, the James Beard house has always had a reputation for like education and cultivation um, and current and recently in the last few years, better representation of all people. Um, if you go back into its history and look at some of the James Beard awards and some of the seasons of the James Beard award, the, um, <laughs> the talent is very homogenous. It's not, it's not really diverse. And so they have gotten definitely a lot better um, when it comes to representing all types of voices in the industry in the last few years, and more specifically, uh, voices of color mm-hmm. in the industry, whether it be cooks or writers or any of that. That was just so, like um, the industry so yeah. in general, right? It was mostly yeah. white males or yep. chefs. And, uh, 
Exactly. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always tremendous to me that the, 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 the fact that there are so many women peppered throughout culinary history, um, even before Escoffier, you know, a lot of the, the group of chefs that he came up with, there was a woman in that group and she dominated that group. And a lot of the techniques that he set forth in his book and that the group of men that he worked with all, you know, kind of used she was a part of that group. She was part of those foundations and she's just rarely talked about and um, rarely mentioned. And like I said, and even more so women of color, we are, we are mentioned even less. And so, you know, the reason why people know how to cook braised greens and they know how to use um, different parts of the animal and they understand how to cultivate rice and, and eat rice in this country, it's largely attributed to the black women who, who came here uh, involuntarily and enslaved. And so it's, you know, like I said, the American cooking is kind of built with the hands and on the backs of black women. And so the fact that we are just now, you know, finding our way to um, being ever present again is fantastic. And so we need more new voices like yourself to come in and continue to add to those, um, to add to that, that, that voice and to put your own point of view out there with your food and with your your personality and the things you care about. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely important to kind of find yourself in all the spaces that you can at this point, especially early on. Um, so you can start to really develop what you, you know, the things you want, the thing you want to say through your food. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, now the, is there, you said you were looking, were, were you looking for something specific right now, like a specific type of job? Were you looking for a, a specific restaurant or position? Like, what, where do you want to go next? And, you know, because I know your the ultimate goal is to open Hazel's in New York, which we just going to put it on out there. Oh, and we just going to keep York. saying it. Not in New York. You know? <laughs> oh, not New York. Oh, okay. When I was younger, okay, I where did, do you, but, but, but I was 10. Okay. <laughs> right on. Oh, not in New York. Um, so where would you where would you where would you open Hazel's now? I, I've been staying Charlotte for the last couple of years. Mm, yeah, well, that's a that's a yeah. They Charlotte is is on that come up right now they too. Are. So it's, it would be a great place to do it. Yes. Um, have do you have family in Charlotte or? Um, yeah, I have some family in Charlotte, but uh, our hometown is only okay. like an hour and a half away in South Carolina. Okay. All right. Yeah. And now have you thought about like finding yourself, finding your way to Charlotte to cook in some restaurants there and just kind of get some, um, get a lay of the land and understand the, the culture of cooking that's happening right now? Girl, I thought about a lot of stuff. Every day I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about it. <laughs> we emailed two hours ago, I thought about 30 things. <laughs> 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 but, um, that sounds like a good idea. I probably should go down there and get a lay of the land. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know when. I I honestly say I do not know. I'm I am in the very like infant stage. I am just trying to soak up everything. Even with you talking about kind of like this black food movement. That is new to me. Mm. All I've known is black okay. food, you know. And then right. between like my travels and stuff, and my um, my experience has kind of expanded from southern food to include uh, Caribbean food, African food. But really, like that's all I know is black food. So I I wasn't even really kind of. I mean, I, I know, like I know. Uh, 
there, like, you know, fine dining and, and all that stuff like that. But I wasn't even kind of, like, exposed or, I don't want to say concerned, but that's really how I feel. Like, I didn't even think about that space, you know, or that we weren't in it and that we weren't necessarily being, like, recognized or, by we, I mean, Black people, that it wasn't part of it, you know? Because um, it just wasn't in my, like, wasn't on my spectrum, I guess. So mm, okay. all of all of this is, is new to me, but even coming in, I think without having known anything about the culinary industry, I already have seen so many amazing female chefs and chefs of color that um I can't even um I I honestly I can obviously I can understand it, but I just don't have that experience. I guess I feel kind of like naive. Maybe I don't know how I feel. Really. No, I mean I wouldn't say you would. You're naive at all. I you know you sound like everybody does when they first start. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and like I said, some people come to culinary, and again, just remember like the the bigger influences in culinary are they tend to be white male. So the guys who get into culinary who are white and male tend to have more voices speaking to them. Mm-hmm. They're surrounded by themselves. They have all the books in the bookstore are about them. All the media coverage is primarily about them. So they come by it, honestly. They, they really are like, okay, well, everybody looks like me in this industry. And for a Black woman, it's a bit ch- more challenging because you don't have that representation. It's harder to picture yourself in the industry, so you don't. And, you know, I've, it's been kind of an ongoing theme with each conversation I've had so far is that how do we create an industry where there's more representation so you do have that 10-year-old little black girl who's able to look and go, mm-hmm. wait, there's someone who looks like me working in this industry, and it won't take me, maybe it won't take as long for the next one to go, yep, I want. this is what I want to do with my life. I I want to be a chef. I want to be a cook. I want to open a restaurant because they see more and more and more faces that look like their own. That could be so. Like for to get, yeah, yeah, and it's like because because uh, if all you know is black women cooking black food and having black eaters, then the I, the impression you get is that black food isn't global. And if you think about all the places that brown and black faces exist, then black food is global. But that's not how the picture is painted for us. And so the more you, so you, like I said, you come by it, honestly, it's not that you wouldn't have, it's not like you would have known any of all this stuff to begin with. It's just kind of like, well, who's, no one's, no one's pushing that information in your direction. It's not like you would have, uh, you would have had to done a tremendous amount of exploring and had an insane appetite for cooking in order to really go, okay, I'm going to find everything I can about the people who look like me doing this work. And it just doesn't exist really. It's hard to find. It's hard to track down. And so, you know, your curiosity has to be the thing that leads you in that direction. And so it's hard for in in any industry, if you don't see yourself to not pursue something. Because it's like, well, that space isn't for me. And so, you know, now that you're in it and you're starting to meet people and you're part of events and things like that, you're like, okay, so there's a space for us here that we're carving out. And now you're a part of that group of women who are carving this space out for the next generation of women. And so, like, as you definitely pursue some things, um, the same energy with which you pursue culinary school, even if you got to put it out there to your cousin again and tell her, like, look. You know, 
I need you to like hold up your end of the deal this time. So whatever it takes for you to kind of follow your gut and follow your passion. Like when people ask me what I've done, the big, my, my response always is I follow the food. I chase the food because if you, I mean, I've lived in a lot of zip codes and, you know, each zip code has taught me something different about food and about the work I love to do. And so like, you know, follow the, follow the food for yourself. And, you know, what, what is it that whole, what is it in South, in, in, um, in Charlotte that would allow a restaurant like Hazel's to fit so beautifully outside of it, outside of its geographical location and outside of the cuisine, what's the energy of Charlotte? Like what is, what's happening there now? Because while 20 years ago, Hazel might've been an ideal fit, it might not be the same city that it used to be. And especially in the culinary spaces. So what does that look like for you right now? So definitely don't be afraid to like jump in there. I mean, I got my first job on the line through a Skype interview. And that was rare. And that was in New York. And I was just like, that was a rare thing to have happen. And, um, and, but I had to just like go with my instinct and, and follow it. And so, you know, that door opened and I just walked through it. So when you find yourself in that space of, I don't know what I'm doing next, that's an okay space to be. And don't be afraid of that space. A lot of people get nervous because we are, are raised and programmed to always have a plan and because we have this expectation of planning, what happens is if something doesn't go to plan, then we, we spend a lot of time being disappointed and frustrated and um, even sometimes feeling shame that our plan didn't play out the way we, we wanted it to. And so it's just like plans are great and they can lead us in a great direction and they can, they can definitely have their advantages. But there's certain times in life where it's like not having a plan um, can be just as advantageous. So right now you can ask a million questions and you have the space to go pursue the answers. So it's like, yeah, 30, you know, like being 31 don't mean anything. It just means like I got, I got a lot of years in the game to play at this point. And so you have, you know, especially when you pass that 30 threshold, there's a certain type of maturity that comes on to your life that you can manage some things better and you have more tools to manage, um, you know, disappointment better. You're a bit more agile of mind and you're a bit more flexible. So you can definitely take on other things that you might've not been able to handle 10, a decade ago. So um, you definitely, you know, you situations where it's like, it may be rough now, but I remember before, in the past, and it was rough, and I got past that, and I was past this. Exactly. And so that's the attitude you want to have, especially in this industry. But I say, girl, get to Charlotte. Find there's some really incredible things happening in Charlotte and food. And I mean, you know, become a part of everything that you can, the same way you kind of got into the volunteering in the James Beard House. That's another way to do it. You can, um, call a few restaurants and, and ask them if you can come in and stage for a week or two just for them to get to know you and you get to know them and you understand, you know, the kitchen. Because the more work you can do on the line um, under a really good chef that's, you know, generous with their knowledge and their attitude, you know, just the better cook you're going to become and you get that much closer to, um, you know, to Hazel's, quite frankly. And so um, then you'll know what to expect of your own crew when you have one. Right. So yeah, girl. So yeah, so don't be, yeah, don't be shy. Like, you know, if, if you got something in your heart to do and, you know, like you, you know, that final destination for Hazel's is, is, is Charlotte, then head out there. And I mean, there's definitely work to be done and people to know. And, um, you know, who maybe, uh, you know, the audience of ladies who are listening to this podcast, ladies, if you are in Charlotte and you know that you can hook Nina up with some work and with some, uh, some opportunities, please just find her on Instagram and give her 
her a shout, um, you know, because we definitely want to, you know, build the community of Black women uh, who work in food and, and, and build that community so we have support for, like I said, the next young woman who's coming up, who's like, I want to work in Charlotte and, you know, I want to work, you know, I want to work at Hazel's for Chef Nina. And so that, you know, we each one teach one, we passing it on, we, we're paying it forward. And so, um, so yeah, so I hope, you know, this, this podcast will hopefully reach somebody's ears and you will get an opportunity knocking on your door. And so I just say, just make sure you ready, girl. Right. That's what I make sure you're ready. I know, like somebody call me. Somebody gonna call me, and I'm gonna be like, I'm, I'm gonna need about three weeks to get my stuff packed. So yeah, I remember one time I had I had to pass up on the opportunity because I didn't have a passport, and I just like a few months after that, I was just like, what am I doing? How can I want these things for myself and not be ready? And so I immediately headed down to the, the passport office and put in my application. And I'm like, look, when the next one comes up, I will be ready to go. And what, what's hilarious is when I, I started the podcast and I was planning this first season, I opened the season with um, one of the one of the chefs that have, you know, just has always been someone I have looked up to. And um, I mean, we're, we're probably closer to peers, but she's been in the spaces that I really want to be in. Like El Simone has just been in the spaces I've always wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. And and then I looked at the last um, episode and <laughs> it was incredible because the last episode I just I I had it on my list of dream interviews for some reason and I just because it was quite frankly and it's the it's a a woman who's in Morocco she's the only black woman who um, owns a hotel who owns and has designed and manages a hotel and in in Morocco and in all of Morocco which is which is incredible and so I put it on my list of I you know one day I'm going to be able to go to Morocco and interview her and blah 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 and so I had already planned a trip to Morocco it's a 14 day um tasting trip or a 14 day um like food food trip and so you know it starts in um one city and we have some time in the desert and each each city we get to eat and spend time with like you know local families and eating in their homes and tasting the food and so uh, no it's a it's a company called intrepid travel and i decided like this year was the year i'm gonna go and do do something crazy and i mean i guess not crazy but do something just out of my box out of my comfort zone and so i found this trip in january and this company they offer um one dollar deposits from january to the end of february so it's every every year at the start of the new year they offer people an opportunity to really start to travel a bit more and so you put your deposit in for a dollar and then you get you know a certain amount of time to pay off the balance and so i was like all right i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it this year and so i'm girl i looked at the i looked at the schedule for the podcast and i'm like well i'm in morocco at the time of the last podcast, what am I gonna do? And so I reached out to this woman, this lovely woman at her hotel, and I, I hit her up through Instagram first. And she was like, we would love to interview with you. And I was just like floored, absolutely floored. And it was, I just was so excited. I'm like, that is, it was just incredible to think like to start this journey and to have that last interview be, you know, in Morocco with this woman that I have admired from a distance who is just doing this incredible thing. Like the hotel's been featured on, uh, in, in Architectural Digest magazine. I mean, it's just a stunning property. I, and I actually have managed a couple hotels, so I understand her life a little bit. And, um, 
And so I'm able to, you know, I asked if I could interview her and her chef, who is a Muslim woman who you just don't see get interviewed very frequently. You don't see Muslim women getting interviewed about running a kitchen like ever. And so, you know, I was, I'm able to interview the both of them. And so like to have that be the very last show, because I just kind of went with my, I followed my gut on that one. I was like, let me just reach out. All they can say is no. And, you know, lo and behold, it's kind of like, okay, what a way to end this this podcast, you know, in a way that, you know, I didn't even imagine it could end and um, and then jump into season two. And so it just really inspired me to go, wait a minute. OK, just kind of keep fo- be ready and follow your gut here and be prepared. And that's the, you know, the advice I keep hearing over and over again from this group of women that have, you know, offered to offered some time to me is that all of them have given kind of the same advice. They're like, be ready, be prepared and go with your and, um, you know, find yourself, make sure you're always prepared for that opportunity to come knocking because you just don't know when it will show up. And uh, definitely don't, um, like I tell people, don't hide your, don't hide your light under a bushel, girl. Uh, definitely, you know, get out there, read as much as you possibly can. Get your hands on books by, of course, Black chefs and non-Black chefs and like travel as much as you can, eat as much as you can um, outside of your normal space. And um, definitely, you know, when, it, when you come back to Hazel's and you start to build that restaurant and you realize all the influences that you've, um, that you've taken on are going to somehow find finding their way into the food as well. It'll be a really beautiful thing to watch. So like I said, anybody who is listening to this podcast and you are in Charlotte or adjacent to Charlotte or know somebody in Charlotte, um, you know, Nina is definitely up for an opportunity um, and, you know, definitely to get herself into the space and get her connected with some folks that will take care of her and, uh, and teach her the things that she wants to know. So we will see how that transpires. Uh, and I will definitely check back in with you and keep the people updated about your about your life and about your career and where it's going so thank you again for um some spending some time tonight I know it was a little it was a little nerve-wracking because it's probably you know it's a unique scenario but um I love to I love to hear what new voices have to say and how they're going to contribute um to the industry in the future we definitely need more black women leading in the industry so thank you so much for coming on and um and, and sharing your life a little bit Afros and Knives is the first original series released by Set the Table Media, a digital media company created for the African-American tastemaker to share authentic culinary travel and lifestyle content. They will become the global leader in African-American digital media, serving passionate subscribers around the world with content that inspires, informs, and entertains. They want to raise the visibility of African-American storytellers and produce food, travel, and lifestyle narratives from innovative, unique, and diverse voices, and then deliver that original programming across multiple platforms. To learn more about Set the Table Media, you may visit the website at setthetablemedia.com or follow them on Instagram or you can become a Set the Table Media insider and keep up with their progress and watch the story of this idea unfold. Get on the wait list and receive an early subscriber discount when you purchase the mobile and television apps. You can also think about becoming a patron and supporting this work with your dollars. 
you can go to patreon.com backslash set the table media and consider becoming a monthly patron so that as these ideas like afros and knives podcast start to unfold you have a direct influence on the conversations we have and the content we produce and now back to the rest of the show Thank you for listening in on this week's conversation with emerging chef Nina Brody. We're excited that you have joined our community of thoughtful, ambitious, and informed listeners. We love to hear the stories and experiences of inspiring and passionate people. You're invited to the episode after party. Click the link in the episode description to become a member of the Afros and Knives community powered by Mighty Networks. And let's keep the conversation going. Don't forget to subscribe to the Afros and Knives podcast on iTunes and unlock newest, the newest episodes every Tuesday. Visit the website and become an insider to get exclusive access to new shows before they air. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Did you know we had a YouTube channel? Each episode is available on YouTube every Wednesday. Get your hands on the official season one t-shirt in the Afros and Knives store. And don't forget, Afros and Knives is on Patreon. We are looking to grow the show from not just audio, but to video. Become a sponsor today and visit patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives. And we will talk to you again next week.